0: Good to um, see everyone, and so good to be here to um, remember Easter Friday and celebrate Easter together. Uh, as Karen said, if, if I haven't met you yet, just want to welcome you to this church, and we're so happy that you're here with us, and uh, my name's Sam, and along with um, my wife, Sam, we have the pleasure of pastoring this church, and massive welcome to the youth, so good to have you guys with us here tonight, and you're part of the family, and awesome to have you mix in with the other part of the church. Um I'm actually going to start this evening just by praying, so if you'd like to just bow your heads with me. Um, Lord, we thank you uh, for what you did all those years ago. We thank you for your selfless love. We thank you for your sacrifice. We thank you that you did that for each and every one of us, Lord. Lord. And Lord, as we reflect on that story and we remember tonight, Lord, would would we get a greater revelation of how great your love is? Would we connect with what the cross means for each of us? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So I'm going to start off this evening by uh, reading what happened all of those years ago through the eyes of Matthew, one of the authors of the gospel. Um, So I'm going to be reading uh, from Matthew 27, verse 27 through to 50, if you're wanting to follow along. So this is what the scripture says. It says, then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. And they twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand. Then they knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail, king of the Jews, they said. They spit on him and took the staff and struck him on the head again and again. After they had mocked him, they took off the robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him away to crucify him. As they were going out, they met a man from Cyrene named Simon, and they forced him to carry the cross. They came to a place called Golgotha. There they offered Jesus wine to drink mixed with gall, but after tasting it, he refused to drink it. When they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots, and sitting down, they kept watch over him there. Above his head, they placed the written charge against him. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Two rebels were crucified with him, one on his right hand and one on his left. In the same way, the rebels who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. From noon until three in the afternoon, da- darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lemma, sabachthani," which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling Elijah, Immediately one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a staff, and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. It's a, it's a pretty sobering account to read, isn't it? You know, what, what Jesus went through and the scourging that would have taken place before his crucifixion. He would have been whipped again and again and again with a whip with a device that would have actually torn the flesh from his back at the time he walked the earth across was the ultimate object of scorn and shame he would have been stripped naked displayed in the air for everyone to see it was the worst possible means of death at the time Uh, a a torture symbol actually designed to inflict the maximum amount amount of pain over the longest duration of time You know, it was so bad that it was reserved for the worst of the worst. It was illegal for a a Roman citizen to be crucified. Uh, And to the naked eye, this would seem that it was the greatest defeat. It would seem like the greatest loss, that the saviour of the world, uh, God incarnate, would die a horrible death like this on the cross. You know, God's people at the time, they were awaiting a saviour. They were awaiting a Messiah and they they had in their minds, they were expecting a a king, a, a, a military king to come and drive out their physical enemies to rule by force and power and might. But God had something completely different in mind. In place of that, he sent a suffering servant who wouldn't drive out the physical enemies, but he would defeat the spiritual enemy, the enemy that had plagued humanity from the beginning the enemy that created separation from God, the enemy that uh, caused destruction in relationships, the enemy of sin that had affected every human being, Jesus would deal with it at the cross. And so what would seem like the the greatest defeat was actually the greatest victory. Listen to what it says in, in Colossians 2. It says, You were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. Every sin, every shortcoming, every bit of shame, every bit of guilt, he nailed it to the cross. He thoroughly dealt with it. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. No, the cross is the place of victory. The cross has dealt with everything in your past, everything in your present, and everything in your future. The cross enables you to be forgiven, to be given a new identity, to be accepted, to be reconciled, to have the spirit of God. This, this, this object that looks like defeat is actually the greatest victory. And Jesus' ultimate victory, it was not achieved through human strength, or through lording it over, it was achieved through humble surrender. It was achieved through selfless surrender to the will of the Father. Jesus was the Son of God. He was divine incarnate. He had the fullness of God dwelling within him. Think about how tempting it would have been for him to use that power to subvert God's plan. Think about how tempting it would have been for him to uh, just reveal himself as God when he was sitting at the table the night before with Judas One of his disciples, someone that he had walked with for three years, welcomed into his life, ate with, taught, drank, knowing that he was about to be betrayed. Think about how tempting it would have been to lash out or to react or to confront, but he humbly surrendered. Think about when they came to seize him with swords and spears and clubs as though he was a robber. Think about how tempting it would have been to show them who he really was, to prove that he was God, but he chose to humbly surrender. Think about as he stood before the judges and person after person came up with lies and false testimony and false accusations. Think about how tempting it would have been God sitting right there to just prove them all wrong, but he humbly surrendered. Think about as they mocked him, and spat on him, and beat him, and whipped him. How tempting it would have been to call down fire from heaven, to righteously judge them. But he humbly surrendered. And think about as he hung on that cross, naked, unrecognizable, and people were walking past saying, is this really the son of God? Who is he? Mocking him, reviling him. Think about how tempting it would have been to reveal his heavenly glory. But he surrendered and he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. You know the reality of this temptation of his to, to actually not go through with, with, with God's plan is, is probably best seen in the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus waited knowing what was gonna happen. I'm, I'm gonna read from Mark 12. This is what it says. It says, they went to a place called Gethsemane and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. Here we see him wrestling with the the very real fact that he's going to endure suffering, that he's going to endure pain, the, the humanness of wanting to not go through that. But ultimately, he says, not what I will, but you will. Not what I will, but you will. I trust your perfect plan. I trust your will. And he would lead us into that victory through surrender. And as his followers, we're actually called to that same pattern of surrender. We're called to take up our cross and follow him. We're called to, instead of following our will and our way and looking to build our kingdom, we're called to humbly surrender and trust the perfect will of God. Trust the perfect love of God. Trust the perfect plan of God to follow the pattern of Christ, the pattern of self-sacrifice, the pattern of loving one's enemies, the pattern of surrender, the pattern of forgiveness, following the path. Of surrender, Jesus said this in Mark chapter 8. He says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Or whoever wants to cling to their life, whoever wants to preserve their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and the gospel will save it. Whoever surrenders, whoever trusts, whoever turns to God will save their life. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their souls? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their souls? You know, we're called to follow the pattern of the cross, the pattern of surrender. That's where, That's how we too live in victory. Uh, so I'll just grab Mike and Kelly back up. Now the cross has made a way for each and every one of us to be free from the punishment of sin and to be forgiven, but it's also made a way for us to be free from the power of sin, to live the life that God intended for us, to be in union with Him, to, to to flourish as a human and to know God intimately. You know, and when we we find true life when we put our faith in Jesus and when we follow that path, it's a paradox. As we surrender and as we lay down our lives and as we follow His will instead of our will, we find Uh, true life. And I'm just going to close this evening by reading uh, Isaiah 53. And this was a a prophecy long ago by a prophet in the Old Testament who foresaw Jesus coming and he foresaw what Jesus was going to accomplish on the cross. And I'm going to read that chapter starting from verse two. Uh, This is what Isaiah said all those years ago. He said, my servant grew up in the Lord's presence, talking about Jesus like a tender green shoot, like a root in dry ground. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his uh, appearance, nothing to attract us to him. He came in obscurity. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins, But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in midstream, but he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He had done no wrong and had never deceived anyone, but he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave, but it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. Yet when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants." He will enjoy a long life, and the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. When he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. It was worth it. It was worth it. It's each and every one of us. That's what he sees. And because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous, to be seen right in God's sight, for he will he will bear all of their sins. I will give him the honors of a victorious soldier because he exposed himself to death. He was counted among the rebels. He bore the sins of many and interceded for rebels. I just want everyone to stand as I close this morning. I'll stand too. (laughs) Um, I just... um, I just want to give each person here an opportunity to respond to the message. Uh, many of us would have heard this many times before, but I, I feel like we can hear it afresh tonight. Uh, for some people here, this might have been the first time you, you heard this account, and you might be pondering, what does this really mean? Um, and, and I want to talk to perhaps two groups of people. Uh, the, first, the first group is perhaps you're here tonight and, and you've never heard the message of the cross or you've never responded to it, or you've never known what to do with it. Um, Jesus died on the cross for you. He died on the cross because he loves you. He saw you before you were born. And he wanted, a, he wanted to make a way for you to be forgiven, for you to be reconciled, for you to have an eternal hope. And I really want to let you know that tonight, that um, salvation's available to you what it requires of you is just to humbly acknowledge that you needed Jesus to die for you, that you do have shortcomings in your life, that you can't make it on your own, and and it just calls for you to surrender, to turn to him and say, Lord, I need you. Might not have it all worked out, but I know I need you, and I'm going to trust you and walk in your direction. And that's something you can do in your heart, and you, you make that public by being baptized and If that's something that's been on your mind, we'd love to talk to you afterwards about that. Uh, And for the other group of people, perhaps you've, you've heard that message of the cross many times. But perhaps if you're honest, you haven't been following that path of surrender. Perhaps along the way, you've been caught up in building your own kingdom, or following your own will, or you've been busy or distracted and Maybe tonight's an opportunity for you to just realign your heart and say, Lord, I'm, I'm following your path. I'm following the path of the cross. I'm laying down my life. I'm laying down my will, and I'm following your perfect will. So you just have an opportunity to do that in your own hearts, and I'm just going to pray over us as I close, and we're going to go back into a worship song. Lord, I I thank you for the cross. Lord, I thank you, the cross in Roman times was a torture symbol, but in our times, it's the ultimate symbol of love, of self-sacrifice, that you would willingly give yourself for each of us, each and every one of us individually, that you would hang on there while we were at our worst, And Lord, I thank you that you invite us into abundant life. You invite us into a pathway of flourishing. You give us an eternal hope. Lord, I thank you that your way is the best way. And as we follow you in loving kindness and forgiveness and loving our enemies and sacrifice and service, that's where we find life. That's where our souls come alive. So, Lord, as we um, just reflect on this part of the Easter story this, this week, and would you speak to us in a way that only we can, in a way that only you can, Lord. And, Lord, I thank you that we know how the, the story ends. And, Lord, uh, we wait expectantly to celebrate that on Sunday. pray this in Jesus' name. Thank you.